Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, Christopher Kelsch, president and CEO of LA Opera, speaks with world-renowned tenor Russell Thomas, LA Opera's recently appointed artist-in-residence. They discuss Mr. Thomas's new role with LA Opera, which includes his two newly created training programs for young singers, his journey discovering and sharing opera, and how the COVID-19 pandemic has shaped the art form. Hi, Russell, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk a little bit about your role as the LA Opera Artist-in-Residence. Since we haven't spoken on an official channel in this way, I want to congratulate you on your incredible performance. Um, and the title role of Stravinsky's Oedipus Rex. That was such a triumphant return to the theater uh, for the LA Opera. And I want to thank you for your incredible artistry on that extremely, uh, not only a very difficult role, but but also a very difficult um, process in putting that together. So, so bravo for that. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be back uh, on stage. And that was my first time singing that role in probably more than a decade <laughs> uh, from my debut in Boston with it, um, with the Boston Symphony. So it was great to be back on stage with this, with the LA Opera Orchestra, the chorus, and all of my colleagues. It's wonderful. Yeah, and I mean, from my point of view, it was really exciting that the first appearance that you had after the appointment as artist in residence was actually physically on the stage. Um, obviously, you had been doing some pretty incredible work in the After Hours series online, but it, 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 it just it felt sort of doubly or triply profound to, to have you inaugurate the return uh, to the theater. Thank you so much for that work. And obviously uh, looking forward to your return um, as Radames in the spring. Um, in some ways that can't come quickly enough. I hope at that point we are well and truly past the, the pandemic for lots of reasons. But I actually wanted to focus on two programs that are totally new to the company that have sprung um, wholly from your imagination um, and to delve a little bit into uh, your inspiration for creating them. And since both programs have now launched, uh, a little bit of an assessment of how they're going. So the first one is the HBCU uh, Career Comprehensive, referring to historical Black colleges and universities. That's an online program um, that kicked off now about a month ago. So could you talk about the inspiration for for creating that program and then kind of how the mechanics of of actually pulling it together came to pass? The HBCU Opera Career Comprehensive came about because I have several friends that went to HBCUs. I never attended an HBCU, and I think they're some of the most fabulous singers I know, especially African-American singers that I know. And unfortunately, many of them felt like the training that they got at HBCUs wasn't always welcomed to uh, this predominantly white-facing operatic career or business or industry. So I thought, what if we created a program that gave young singers who are either just attending an HBCU currently or had just recently graduated from an HBCU, sort of an assessment uh, about where they are in their performance, uh, in their development, as well as teach them other aspects of what it is to run an opera company. As we all know, not everybody who wants to be a musician, a professional musician makes it, but that doesn't mean that we as operatic professionals or professionals in this business can't find ways to welcome them into the fold. So I thought about this program as a way to one, help them develop musically, vocally, uh, professionally, 
as well as give them ideas of what else they could do in the theater if the career doesn't work for them the way they dreamed of it. Uh, so far, it's been going great. We had three sessions. Uh, each week, the artists send us videos of themselves singing an aria or a song. We give them critiques on that. We set them up with coachings with LA Opera music staff. Uh, we've set them up with a language school here in Los Angeles that uh, some of the young artists in the Young Artists Program uh, work with. Um, we've given, we're trying to give them all the resources we can to make sure that they're confident and comfortable in their performance and that they can develop further. Uh, we've had special guests like yourself <laughs> uh, and Afton Battle, the general director of Fort Worth Opera, come and speak with them about what it is the general director does. Uh, we've had David Lomili, as well as Michael Heeson from the Metropolitan Opera, come and talk to them about what it is that they do as casting directors or consultants. Um, and recently, which was my one of my favorite uh, talks, we had um, Melanie from the LA Opera staff uh, speak to them about social media marketing, as we all know, that's sort of the the now and pop, then the future of, you know, how artists present themselves to the public. So how did you go about the process of actually selecting the individuals participating? We set up an application and an audition platform through Yap Tracker. They have this um, thing that a lot of young artists use to uh, find auditions. The application was free of charge. Uh, I personally wrote to 84 <laughs> HBCUs um, wow. to, to talk to their students about it. Unfortunately, because a lot of the schools were not in session, we didn't get, we got a lot of applicants, but we probably would have gotten three times as many uh, in a normal year. But because of COVID, we didn't get as many applicants as we'd like, but we still got some great uh, singers. Josh Winograd and I uh, went through all the recordings and made notes and we sort of whittled them down to the 10 singers that we have in the program. And is the idea that they'd stay with the program for a year and then there'd be a new class subsequent? This group or cohort, as we, we refer to them, uh, will stay with us for 10 sessions. They've had three already, so they have seven more over the course of about five and a half months. There's been so much difficult and, and grim news, especially for our business over the last 18 months. And so I try to concentrate on thinking about silver linings. And to my mind, this program is an enormous silver lining. And I kind of wonder whether the actual form and structure of it is something that we would have thought about um, before all of us got so used to the Zoom format and actually have found that it actually can be an effective means of uh, obviously a basic communication, but also uh, it can be an effective means of training. The unfortunate circumstances of the pandemic has sort of forced us all to figure out new ways to engage and communicate. Um, Zoom has been very effective on that. But what it, what it can't do, what you can't do on Zoom really, is tell what someone's voice is really like. You hear the basic quality of it, basic nature of the instrument, but you can't really tell if that voice would be substantial enough to sing in a 3,000 seat hall like the Dorothy Chandler, you know? Um, you can't really tell that via Zoom. So we work on things uh, that you can tell, you know, the languages, the musicality, uh, making sure all the pitches and rhythms are right, um, making sure the pronunciation of the languages are are are, are effective, um, communicating a character, you know, those things you can tell uh, quite clearly through the Zoom platform or a virtual platform. 
and it's been very effective so far. I think there's been some improvement really quickly from a few of the singers. Uh, just having the access to the, that quality and that level of musicianship is new to a lot of these these young singers. Um, and I think they're taking advantage of it, uh, which is beautiful. Yeah, but I mean, I think in the latter point, you're articulating really what the philosophical underpinning of the program is, which is it's in the end, you're, you're not prepping someone to audition for a main stage role at the LA Opera or the Metropolitan Opera. You're really trying to uh, radically expand someone's vision about the art of the possible, right? And so in a way, um, it's one of the things that I find really inspiring about the way that you constructed this program is you're giving people an enormous range of, of exposure, uh, knowing that you're planting seeds of different career possibilities, laying out a kind of huge garden of, of opportunity uh, in the future, which I find incredibly inspiring. And um, I've been really, really impressed, not only by the quality of the, of the participants, but just by the, I think, enthusiasm and zeal of all the people that have come to, to, to try to help in this um, system. And I think that, I think you share my dream or desire that hopefully this will be a model for lots of other companies going forward about really radically expanding opportunities uh, for inclusion for not from the usual kind of pathways for people to have careers uh, in opera. Absolutely. I think that one of the most important things that have come out of this pandemic um, and last summer with the death of George Floyd and, and others uh, is that this idea of inclusion and equity in the classical arts has had a real conversation and actually real motion forward. Whether it's sustainable, we don't know. We will know in about five to 10 years if it was effective. Uh, you don't really know that right away, but I think we're all doing our part, especially here at LA Opera, to make sure we expand or, or, or reach out towards um, communities that probably were ignored for a long time or not given as much attention as they possibly deserve. Um, and that's the way this program, I think, plays a small part. You know, As you say, planting seeds, I think that's, where, that's a great way to put it. So moving forward, do you see that the program, uh, we, we just renew the, the class of those individuals on a yearly basis, on a, on a semi-annual basis? Have you found that uh, 10 is the right number? Um, is there a version of this in which there, there can be more participants? Uh, I think 10 is a good number. Any more than that, then I don't think you could really give the participants the attention that some of them may require. Some of them are much more advanced than others. We have three young singers who just finished their freshman year. Uh, so this is like a lot for them. You know, they're, they're getting a lot of attention at the ground floor of their training, which I think uh, they, in my opinion, will be the barometer of how effective a program like this is. Uh, but we did talk about prim primarily uh, renewing every uh, semi-annually the 10 singers. And maybe some of them can repeat, you know, if, if we find that it's necessary. Uh, but right for right now, the idea is semi-annually, 10 sessions, 10 singers, and go from there. The idea of effectiveness, the idea of assessing uh, success is, is kind of an open question, right? Because success doesn't necessarily mean that you know an individual would would necessarily have a career that mirrors your own you know th there's lots of different potential uh paths for success which is one of the things again in the way in which you've conceived it in order to give people access to all kinds of different career paths 
that's very, very, very inspiring. Yeah, we want to make sure that they know that just because they can't or they don't make it on stage, um, that there's still a place for you in classical art and, and specifically opera. Uh, and hopefully that's what we're doing. Let's turn our attention to the slightly younger cohort um, that you're also uh, shepherding, mentoring. Those are members of the newly minted Russell Thomas Young Artist Training Academy. Can you talk about that program um, conceptually and how you came up with that idea? When I was a young singer uh, in high school, at my senior year of high school, I met this wonderful woman who heard me sing and said, you could be an opera singer. And it literally changed my life, you know. I'm, I wanted to do something for young singers that would possibly, could possibly do the same thing. And these are not kids that are coming from very privileged backgrounds. We're looking for, uh, not excluding kids from privileged backgrounds. We are looking for those that possibly couldn't afford a voice lesson uh, on their own or didn't have a whole lot of musical training past choir. And this idea mostly came from Opera Theater St. Louis when I was a young artist there. Uh, they had this program called the Artisan Training Program, where they would take high school students uh, in the St. Louis County area and give them sort of a seven-month residency of training them, giving them voice lessons, uh, acting classes, uh, and so on and so forth. And at the end of that seven months, they uh, give some scholarship money to them for college and elsewhere. And what I thought would be a great idea is that we didn't just do seven months uh, and we didn't just sort of get rid of them after, after that time and sort of leave them out for, their, for themselves, but continue the mentor relationship through high school and into their undergrad um, uh, and, and you know, support them in their training uh, musically, vocally, uh, as much as possible. Again, it's not that each one of these singers will become famous opera singers. Uh, one participant <laughs> in the program who has an amazing voice dreams of being a neurosurgeon. <laughs> so, you know, those are things that we wanted to make sure that we invited, you know, kids into the fold that had a lot of talent, had, that loved to sing, but also that wanted to, that had other interests. Uh, who knows if this neurosurgeon that uh, doesn't make it as an opera singer uh, could be a board member one day. You know, we want to encourage these young, young people to be stewards of this tradition and advocates for what it is that we do. Uh, so no matter what they do with their lives, whether they're performers or not, um, you know, they, again, will feel welcome into uh, into this very niche market, because that's exactly what it is that we do. It's, a, it's very niche. We, we would all love it not to be, but, <laughs> but it is. And uh, not everyone feels welcome. And after the first day of working with them, they all said, I feel welcome here. Without us asking if they felt welcome there, they all said, I feel welcome here. And to me, that was the biggest uh, success that it could possibly take on uh, after just a day of working with them. You used a word there that I think about a lot and that really resonates with me, which is stewardship. What I think what's interesting about our business, right, is that there are not as many opportunities as there are talented individuals. And so that leads to a situation in which sometimes artists can be, um, for their own self-preservation, frankly, can be a little bit um, selfish about holding opportunities uh, for themselves. Um, and yet the great stewards of our tradition have always been the ones that have been extremely generous about um, creating um, 
you know, sharing the space, cr creating opportunities for others. When was that seed planted for you in terms of um, the responsibility that you feel towards stewardship of younger people, of making sure that there's this kind of uh, chain of ownership of, of the art form? Because obviously, you know, what I see in these two programs is someone who's really putting in the work to make sure that that chain of stewardship is unbroken. Well, for me, there are a few sort of moments in my development that that makes me feel like this is my responsibility. You know, I, I was very lucky to have a coach and uh, conductor um, in Miami as I was growing up, Elaine Rinaldi, that heard me sing uh, in my college years and said, I want to help you. And she coached me on the Italian style, on the Italian language, uh, knowing she heard before I ever heard that I would sing this Italian rep. Yeah. And she really took the time and invested in me um, all through my college years. And even after college, she played my audition for the Met, you know, um, she played a lot of my auditions for people. Uh, so having someone like that in my life uh, really, set, you know, sort of planted a seed for this responsibility of an artist to give something back. Um, that was huge. The next step for me or the next time that I sort of, it sort of came to a head was actually when I was 30. <laughs> and uh, when I was a young singer, I made all these, these plans. I said, by the time I'm 30, I wanna have sung at the Met. And by the time I'm 30, I wanted to win this competition or that competition. And I had, I had accomplished all of that, thank God, by the time I was like 26. So it was like, okay, so what next, you know? I, and, and I didn't think about it really until I was 30. And I was there and I had sort of a, for lack of a better word, I think I had like a nervous breakdown. I was like, what am I gonna do with my life uh, now that I've accomplished all of these things? And it was that point that I started thinking about paying it forward uh, in, a, in a meaningful way. If I could help someone, you know, with a technical problem they were having, I would give them that advice. If, if a friend of mine needed a coaching and they couldn't afford it, I would pay for their coaching. Uh, again, I didn't have money, a lot of money, but it was that if I had a spare 50 bucks and I knew that that coaching would really help them have a better audition, I would give them the 50 bucks, you know? And that sort of thing, you know, had developed and kept going until it was, you know, if uh, someone called my agent and said, you know, we want Russell to do this gig and I wasn't able to do it, I would call my friends and say, hey, tell your agent that this thing, ha someone called me about this today and I can't do it. Maybe you can get this job. I never, one of the things that I've never felt a sense of competition again uh, with my colleagues ever. It was always, there were people to learn from. There were people that I leaned on for help. Uh, when I needed help, I would ask, you know, if, if, I, if I heard a tenor who can do something that I couldn't do, I would say, hey, how do you do that? Um, I remember being a young singer in St. Louis <laughs> and meeting Larry Brownlee for the first time and pulling him into a practice room and saying, teach me and show me how it is that you do these different things with your voice. I don't know how to do that. Um, and that's always been the kind of artist I was very, still am very curious, very inquisitive. And um, I've always found that giving that energy back to other people makes me feel better and helps them in the long run. And actually, I think that's actually a, a, a good segue from the micro into the macro. Um, and just talking more generally about um, your role as artist in residence for the company and 
um, what what you hope to achieve for yourself as an artist and how your imagination will be felt, I think, for, for the company in general. And and kind of back to the fundamental question, frankly, of, of why you said yes to the offer. For the most part, it was because when I said I wanted to learn every aspect of running an opera company, you thought that was a great idea. <laughs> and you were open to that. That's something that, um, for me, I'm not just having these young kids in the HBCU program listen to these, you know, department chairs. I'm also listening. I'm also learning from them. Um, uh, I think it's important because a lot of singers don't know what it takes to make things happen in, in, in the back office. Um, and I think if more singers knew, they would appreciate the amount of work it took, <laughs> the amount of work it took to do those things. But for me, um, my ultimate goal in this business would be to one day be artistic or general director of an opera company. Uh, and I know that I don't know enough to make to do that. So I'm taking these three years to learn as much as possible about this business and as much as possible of how to do these jobs so that I, if I, if and when the time comes that I want to make that transition, that I'm informed as much as possible how to do it. Um, on the other hand, this opportunity provides me with the ability to tell some stories and to do to curate some things that I wasn't able, I'm not able to do otherwise. There are so many other things that I would love to do, but I think it's allowing me to flex my muscle in a way, um, this opportunity in a way that I could, you know, encourage other artists to, you know, bring artists into the LA Opera fold that otherwise probably wouldn't have come. And to do good work, tell good stories, and to, you know, again, to be a steward for, for these traditions and bring people along with me uh, or with us that can also tell these stories, uh, tell important stories uh, and their stories in, an, in a meaningful way to the people of LA or the world, actually, now that we're doing more things digitally. Yeah, I mean, what I sort of found breathtaking was just the the um, speed with which you hit the ground and the kind of the thoughtfulness of the certainly all the programs you were putting together for us digitally over the spring. You know, th those from my point of view were kind of curatorially profound, singularly yours, um, and they happened very very quickly. People think of of opera companies as being you know sort of like aircraft carriers. I mean, obviously we were in an unusual situation because of COVID, but but the move really slowly. And what was clear to me from, from our first conversations was just um, that kind of the curatorial imagination that you had was sort of vast and the speed with which you could uh, actually see your vision come to pass was pretty extraordinary. And so I just want to express on behalf of me and the entire community, just, just uh, a level of gratitude for the kind of incredible generosity that you brought to the table kind of right out of the gate. Thank you. I think um, for me, the, those first thing, those first programs are all about, you know, diversity. You know, I wanted to make sure that we included sort of everybody. You know, um, LA has a rich Latino community and heritage here, uh, so having a, a concert about you know female composers was was big was a big deal. And I don't think it's, it's only been done maybe a couple of times before where. Uh, the music of female composers of Latin female composers were front and center at a program, you know, um, and I didn't, and again, it was a way for me to learn about that repertoire as well, because I didn't know the repertoire. And so I called upon people who knew more than me and asked them, 
you know, where could I find things and who should I program? And, uh, and it's, it's been a learning experience for me. And I, and I really, and that's the whole purpose of this for me. It's not for my own performances. I, I mean, I do a lot of that already. <laughs> it's, it's for me to learn uh, things that I didn't know um, and to, to give opportunities where I can to people who need the opportunities. Drawing in something that you said earlier, I think, you know, we are in a very much a, a kind of a niche market of a niche market. Um, so many people just don't have had, they haven't had exposure to any kind of classical arts, never, never mind opera. And so, you know, we, I think institutionally, we always seek to find ways of reducing uh, barriers of, of inviting people in. It, it is at the, you know, philosophical foundation of the two programs that we talked about uh, in beginning this conversation. Just about how, how do you actually throw open the doors and actually prompt human reflection and, and human expression in a way. So I, I also champion that. Um, we have to wrap up, but I think I would be remiss in, in not asking you in a time in which was uh, extremely difficult for live and performing arts, how has this experience of the pandemic been for you as, as an artist, as a singer, as a professional, um, as a career? When you look back at the last two years, almost at this point, what are your reflections on what it's meant for you, you know, as an artist? Well, that's deep. I mean, two things that I think have been most beautiful is to see this art form and this industry talk about equity uh, and inclusivity in a meaningful way. And I, as I've said a few times, and I'll say it again, the Lift Every Voice panel that we did was game-changing. Really, I think it was game-changing. It's, it is, it has sort of forced the hand, I think, of the business as a whole to address these issues and not just, you know, pay lip service to them, you know? Uh, so that was huge for me and I was happy to be a part of it. The other part was being able to just spend time at home with my son, you know, uh, since he started school, it was been, it's been difficult because that's my career is never really home. Um, so, uh, it, you know, having that time apart, uh, he deals well with it, but having that, that even if in a pandemic, having that time to just be home uh, was great for me. Uh, just, yeah, it was great for me because oftentimes I feel like a failure as a parent for being away. <laughs> although, although being away is a necessity for, you know, me to be able to feed my family. Um, but there was a time in the beginning where I was really, I, again, I, I, I say I don't, I've never had a, um, a period of my life where I, really knew what depression was. So I don't think I was really, but the way I was feeling was I could have been depressed because I was used to just being on the road and, and performing in front of people. And then having to transition and do that at home was very difficult for me. So having those projects to do for LA Opera gave me you know, something creative uh, to do. And the few times that I was able to go away and sing was, was great. But I was very lucky, you know, some of my colleagues were not so lucky. Um, and, you know, having that, those moments to talk to people and share in experiences uh, and to help where I could was, you know, made me feel better about the whole thing, you know? That's a beautiful note, I think, to, to end. So I wanna uh, thank you for spending time with us uh, this afternoon. Thank you for all of your uh, work, past, present and future. 
on behalf of Opera in general and LA Opera specifically. Thank you so much, Christopher. Great speaking with you. And you as well. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Opera.